This podcast was recorded on March 26th, 2020. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. This is Less Stupid with Thomas Huda, a show that's completely uncut, uncensored, and unsure if the country's going to be up and running again by Easter. I'm quite skeptical about that. Um, I'm here uh, virtually, though, in regard to the um, stay-at-home order that's happening in Oregon and across the country with um, my new friend, Kate Davidson. Would you like to introduce yourself, Kate? Sure, Thomas. My name is Kate Davidson, and I am city council candidate for Ward 2, Eugene City Council. And that is uh, South Eugene, for those who don't may not know that. Uh, city of Eugene has eight wards. And I am running for uh, War Two. That's fantastic. And that was Betty Taylor's seat. Yes, big and she film. was a counselor for twenty-four years. Really, really quite amazing. Yeah. yeah. That she's been able to hold that seat for so long, mm-hmm. um, and with that happening, um, I think that the people in there in the ward uh, are are going to have to make quite a decision between you know what we're gonna how we're gonna have a new representation after such a long duration mm-hmm. um, so um, there are two people in your race only so that's pretty nice um, that was and, surprising to me yeah 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 it is surprising when you have an open seat like that you'd mm-hmm. think more people would rush in but you yeah know, in my I'm race just having one opponent yeah <laughs> that's good. Um, Well, I do want to ask you plenty about that, but the way that I typically start these is by asking, just generally, what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything? Uh, Oh, I have so many. Um, (laughs) Well, I think that the city, I don't know if this is controversial, but it's true. Uh, In 2014, when they passed the, the first ordinance, climate recovery ordinance, um, I'm sure a lot of us are very disappointed that we didn't really get on it at that time. Mm. So I, I think that we should have uh, distributed energy by now, you know, where we all have our solar panels and, or wind turbines or, you yeah. know, that, that never got deployed and it really right. needs to, that needs to happen now. So, um, okay. that's kind of controversial that idea because it, it upsets e-web and the utilities when you're, when you don't, when you're not plugged into the grid. Mm. But there's a way to do it when, where you can, you know, sell energy back. Right. So I think PV is the way to go. That, okay. that and wind, wind energy is the most efficient. Can you explain what PV is for people who might not be Photovoltaic. Aware? Photovoltaic on, mm-hmm. on homes. Okay. And I think uh-huh. that you interviewed Yuke recently. Mm-hmm. Who I did. Also, there are a number of people who are kind of coming out of the woodwork noticing that we could do that. We could deploy that. And it would be really mm. important to start doing that now absolutely well what would you say to people who say you know oh climate change uh while it's important uh it's something that is a global issue and that no matter what the u.s does um you know so many emissions are going to be emitted uh on the foreign sort of scale and so then what what's oregon's role and then what's a small uh town like eugene's role in all that what would you say to that sort of argument Oh my gosh. Um, There's a lot of climate paralysis, isn't there? It's Mm. such a, it's, it's so overwhelming to think about that many of us feel paralyzed with fear or uncertainty. Um, And so I think it's very important that each local area to do the, 
to the degree that we can take charge of our future. We can't control the climate paralysis around the world, but we can do a lot to work toward mitigating it here, right here in our own backyard and be an example and a shining beacon of light for everybody out there who is afraid to admit that our civilization is coming to an end. Mm. It's coming to an end. And there are, you know, we have three choices on that. Yeah. It's either going to come to an end. We just keep on doing what we're doing. Four to five degrees Celsius, four to five degrees more, and the civilization will not, it's not friendly to humans. Okay. Sure. We're not reaching the climate accords, the Paris climate accords. That's not happening. We're not. No. We're not. So, and we, so we don't even uh, we acknowledge like our membership in it anymore. Yeah, we would like to have a techno fix, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Technology is going to save us. I don't know what <laughs> technology it is, but we have um, Silicon Valley. They're hard at work coming up with something. Let's, let's trust um, that we will be safe. The tech bros are always going to save us, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so that combined with um, fear of uncertainty you know, it could be it, it could be a massive die off. Then, w- then we have our second choice, which will involve many mega deaths. But mm. a, a kernel of a, of a new civilization will evolve from that. And then we have the third option, which most people like best. <laughs> Door number three, <laughs> we change now, yeah, immediately, the entire yes. world. And this COVID crisis is an excellent gift in that Mm. way because it's showing us that we can stop drop and roll thomas we Mm. just stop okay the the oceans will get cleaner the air will get cleaner the rivers and the canals you know there will still be pollution that we need to to clean up but you know i am of the mind now that we need a radical uh shift in our direction and I don't see that happening at the city level. I don't see any of our city councilors or our mayor uh, noticing sure. <laughs> that this is the opportunity that we need to restructure our entire local economy to the degree that we can. Sure. And get yeah, on it's... board with the fact that climate change is upon us. And this is just the first of many um, disasters or crises, if you will. I think that we are fortunate to be in Eugene, although we've also both chosen to be in Eugene, Mm -hmm. in a community where people do, we have a long legacy of caring about conservation issues and about uh, trying to become more sustainable in our everyday lives. Um, The the problem also that exists is some people are, uh, and this exists in Eugene, but uh, but hopefully not as much as uh, in other places, um, just sort of flagrant climate deniers to the point where they almost take pride in mm-hmm. their emissions in sort of, uh, you know, holding up the maybe 0.1% of scientists who, uh, you know, have raised some kind of skepticism and say, look, uh, you know, the jury's still out on this. Um, it, and the acceptance of science, you know, it's just across the board when it comes to people who are anti-vaccine or any other conclusions that science draws, um, it's it's become a cultural issue that I I wonder you know and you're just you're you're gonna be um, 
the one member of an eight-person city council, so I'm maybe throwing some very large-scale issues at you, but, you know, we expect a lot from our leaders, and we expect our leaders to be able to sort of grapple with these problems that everyday people, you know, are, are struggling with. How do you think that we can um, do, I, I don't know if it's better outreach or, or um, get everybody on board with it, at least accepting the reality, like you're saying, that that we are in a serious crisis. Uh, Inclusiveness. So we're talking yeah. about a public outreach program that is inclusive of everybody. Right. And yeah, those those need to be de designed very carefully. And um, while we, we do our best in Eugene, as any municipality and any government agency does to do outreach, you know, we can always do better. So I believe the city needs to start a PR program immediately, educating people on the reality of climate, uh, just like we're doing right now with COVID. We have, the gift yeah. of this is that we have seen that our emergency operations can come up and running pretty quickly. You know, I mean, we weren't really as prepared as we could have been, obviously. We can all sure. sit back and, and, you know, criticize from the sidelines, but um particularly with, with the homeless, we weren't as prepared, but, but look at how we are able to True. suddenly house people. Hmm. We are suddenly able to provide shelter. Okay. Yeah. We're suddenly able to do all kinds of things that we didn't think we could do before or that we didn't have the money for uh, or the expertise or the, you know, whatever. And it is true that we do have more money now because we, we uh, created the state of emergency. So more funds come down. Right. And, and we're able to um, create more shelters. Mm -hmm. for homeless people. But what I want to notice is that we can do this. Yeah. We can. We can yeah. mobilize. And it's a great lesson. You know, mm -hmm. it's a it's a wonderful gift in a way even though it's challenging and um and painful in some ways for people to be isolated and you know not know what's yes. happening. So, but we can put structures in place. Like right now in Southeast Neighbors, I just got an email from uh, David Monk, who is supporting my campaign, and we work very closely together on all kinds of, of um, things, including disaster preparedness, obviously. And we've got a really uh, functional website set up where everybody, all of the 80 block captains in Southeast have access to this thing, and we're volunteering and putting in there what we can do for our neighbors. And then mm. we are uh, getting our neighbors to come into this hub so that right. we're all connected really micro locally like this. And we'll all know in a, you know, I'll know in a four block radius. I already do know everybody and I'll, yeah. but some people have moved, you know, some things change and we'll all be a part of this hub and we'll be able to connect and, and be a rapid response team for each other. Now we have the privilege of privilege here, right? In Eugene, yes. so many of us do. And there, sure. we need to... I would argue particularly in S South Eugene compared to other parts of Eugene. Like I grew up in the River Road area and, uh -huh. you know, I'm close with the people in West Eugene. And so they they feel kind of divorced from a lot of the investment that occurs and um, that they might have a different experience of Eugene. But I, but you're, you are correct. It's, uh, we do have a, a great deal of privilege mm -hmm. in, in Eugene. Mm -hmm. So utilizing our privilege to for the good of everybody is is what's important. Um, 
And but to create those rapid response teams, that's happening now as well um, with with the homeless population. And uh, I'm in touch daily with Heather Salicki of White Bird, and she's giving me you know daily reports and updates on what's happening on the ground. That's great. Yeah. So is Beth Sheehan. She's over at the mission. Um, I just put out a blog, uh, news from the front lines from my, you can go on it on my website to see that. I just loaded that last night and there's a lot of news in there from mm-hmm. the front lines, mm-hmm. you know, people, um, what they're doing to, um, help the homeless in this situation. And the city has stepped up of course, and, and the County too, and they're creating more shelters, um, so that people can have more space yes when they sleep yeah that's ideal especially because there are a lot in uh, folks in the unhoused homeless community who um they feel strongly that the sense of community and really that's what it is uh Mm -hmm. is um something that helps sustain them and, and their lives um being being uh knowing other communities or you know whether it's the sort of very visible people who would align themselves under what Eric Jackson would call the protest camps um, yeah. or, um, you know, other people in the very vastly diverse and varied um, community of people who just aren't housed in Eugene. Um, it, it can be a challenge to say, uh, you know, you, you, you all have to, first of all, stay at home. It's like, well, what does that mean for me? Um, but also, um, you know, maintain all this distance from the folks who are, you know, in many cases, um, providing help with food or just being a part of a community together. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you have, you know, without me asking anything about it, sort of recognized, um, the, the particular challenges that that community in Eugene faces and um, what the city is doing moving forward. And I love that you're connected with white bird. Um, So thank you for that. Um, So there is a big age difference between you and I, I'm 26 and what is your age? 55. 55. Okay. So it's not, it's not, it's not a gargantuan difference, but, um, but it's certainly a difference. And the same um, age as my daughter. (laughs) <laughs> and I have a son who's a, uh, 11 months older, or okay. maybe he's a year older. Yeah, they're they're Irish twins. Mm-hmm. And right after I kick off here from you, we're doing a Zoom meeting, the whole family. My daughter is in North Carolina. She's graduating with a master's degree in media studies from Wonderful. University of North Cal- Carolina there in um, Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. And her husband works for Duke. They met in high school at South Eugene High School when they were children basically, right? Mm, and mm. got together and lived together during college, undergraduate here at the U of O and then got married and moved to Chicago. Nice. Actually they I moved to Chicago first where he picked up his master's degree from Northwestern and then they gotcha. got married and then they moved to UNC. I often wish that I had chosen uh, the Duke Masters in Teaching program over uh, Columbia because now I get on Instagram and some of my friends from undergrad, one of them goes there and she just posts the most beautiful photos all the time. And it's just this Gothic architecture and the wide open space that you can't get in the city. But anyway, that's that's uh, that's all done with. I wanted to ask you, though, because of the difference in age. um, So. I guess my question is, so a lot of people will come to me um, being like, so you're running for mayor, 
what like what how how do you think you know is this a vanity project are you actually qualified etc and um for me i think that the fact that i do want to jump in at 26 and i and i am you know saying you know i don't want to take the most traditional i guess establishment route towards power i'm seeing things that are urgent and i want to i want to conquer them well not conquer them but tackle them now and I want to, I want to, you know, hopefully inspire other people to run for office, regardless of their age. Um, the way I would flip that argument, maybe against you, is to say, so what took you so long to run for yeah. public office? But I, but in asking you that question, I think that um, I'm giving you also a chance to talk about what does what experiences you have that qualify you. Because I'm yeah. looking at KateDavidson.org right own, now, and there are tons journey. of them. Yeah, please. Yeah. So yeah, my journey. So I actually helped uh, run Betty Taylor's campaign in 2008. And I- Okay, that was a yeah. great year for politics. And I thought um, at that time that I would, that I that I wanted to run for city council at, at some point. Sure. And, and I just knew that. It's like when you, when you, you know, we have beliefs of things that we believe and then we have things that we know, right? And I just knew mm. I was going to do that when the time was right. And nice. the time presented itself now, uh, for many different reasons, you know, one of them is that Betty is retiring, and yeah. I had a sense that that might that that might be the case, you know, and and she encouraged me to throw my hat into the ring when we met early on. I talked to her about this, and is she? And she said, well, it's very I, I don't know if this number is coming out of nowhere. Is it ninety six? She's ninety four. She's ninety four. Okay, yeah. she will be ninety six soon. Wow. And she's still totally, I mean, she's totally with it. She's totally yeah. a, a fierce advocate for she's the thing amazing. she's, yeah. So rock on. Sorry to interrupt. Just curious. That's okay. Uh, so the time presented itself at this time. My kids are gone um, from home. We're still, we're all still a very close family, but, um, and I've accomplished a, a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish. And now is a good time for me. So, and I, and I have a lot of wisdom now at this time in my life, I feel. And I've done a, a lot of things that set me up to be uh, a really, really good city councilor. I mean, a, a fantastic city councilor. Like, right exceptional. On. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's interesting <laughs> to me. I mean, I'm glad that I have an opponent. That's sure. great. You know, you've got to oh, have, yeah. it's good to have competition. Yeah, I don't like uh, seeing anyone run out of post. your choice between us. You know, there's here, there, there's a uh, Johnny come lately Keating who moved into the ward in order to, to run for this seat, you know, it's sort of this for this political ambition. And, and he's being backed by the Lane County democratic party in this nonpartisan race where the Democrats all swoop in and, you know, bolster up this. That's all over my race. The golden child, you know, and then, then, then they, the Democrats are so clever. They, they put um, operatives on all of the, endorsement committees, you know, and so mm. that are that are literally like working on my opponent's campaign. And there's just like, well, who do you think they're going to endorse, right? They're the committees sure. are stacked with operatives. So I've I been, practically gave up on a lot of those establishment endorsements because I'm like, okay, I'm running against Lucy Venice. Yeah. I know how that's going to go. So let me focus on, you know, yeah. outreach to other communities who aren't typically involved. Let me focus on um, establishing my credibility on my own terms through other there things I'm doing with music, with uh, policy, blah, blah, blah. So um, yeah. I, I feel you on that front. <laughs> good. And yeah. it's okay. I mean, that is the way it works. The, the social capital arena, you know, sure. I'll scratch I don't your fault. Them. For it, really. Scratch mine, um, you know, and that's what people tell me. 
So mm -hmm. Lu Lucy said, you know, I talked to her, asked her for her endorsement and Lucy and I are friends. We, um, well, we're not friends, but we, sure. and I'm not even going to say we share a child because it's not my child, but Ed Venice spent a good deal of time over here in high school. And wow, uh, okay. I joke around sometimes that I helped raise that kid during high school. He's, uh, he's in the clique with my son and all, they're all besties. And then he <laughs> dated my daughter for a oh while. Oh my gosh. In wow. High school. Yeah. So, and I love Ed. I, you know, I love Lucy's kid. He's a great kid. Um, and I used to see him every day. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I was going with this other than, well, um, yeah, that's, well that's really what qualifies you and what, what, yeah. um, experiences like, you know, for, for you. my average uh, viewer slash listener who, who is totally unfamiliar with you and maybe not even that familiar with local politics. Yeah. You, what have you well, done? I came to Eugene in, uh, 1990 and landed here and immediately ended up at the, um, we, back then we called it the e-law conference, the PILK conferences, public mm. interest environmental law conference that the law school put, puts on every year. And that's a big environmental law conference. In 1991, I met my former husband there and we started a family soon after. And at that 1991 uh, PILK conference changed my life. That's where I became, I believe, really devoted to the environment and, it, and, and an environmentalist. I um, engaged in direct action tree sits. I, um, wow. I formed, I uh, started a little group called uh, web where we put out a women's environmental bridge, which we connected to this group in London. The woman had come to the conference and, and gave a passionate speech and, you know, managed to organize some of us in the States to educate women about dioxins in their, in, in their baby diapers and feminine products. And so I, oh, interesting. I, um, um, worked on that for a while. And then, um, what else did we do? Well, John and I got together and then soon after that, we started having children, but we worked on campaigns. So yeah. we worked on the Jerry Brown campaign in 1992 and the measure six campaign um and we were really in it we we met just jesse jackson i don't know if you saw the pictures on my website but yes i did see that's amazing and, um, yes that people really my age might not even know rant made a very uh sort of history making run for president um yeah. a few a couple decades before yeah. uh, obama we were did, into a decade it. and a half right on so um you know it just it goes way back and then we bought our first house in the Whitaker neighborhood and lived in the wit for a while. Do you remember nice. Sam Bond's garage? Yeah, of course. Sam, you ever go to Sam Bond's? Well, we were oh, there. Oh, yeah. My dad built. really likes to. Um, oh, no yeah. way. He likes to yeah. go to trivia there. They've got a couple of comedians who host. Uh, I guess it's bingo, not trivia. But yeah, yeah, what a great what a great spot. Well, Bart and Erica lived across the street from us on on Monroe Street. And and Bart was a partner in that project. And so we would wheel our babies every day down to watch the construction right on. of Sam Bond's garage. And then we all went to the grand opening, of course. Um, and then from there, we, we sold the house and moved to uh, Lost Valley Educational Center, which is outside of Dexter. And I, I was the director of that nonprofit conference center. 
with with other programs too, permaculture, organic gardening, sustainable living in community, and um, we also had a childcare program, and we ran conferences. And I, um, we, we were practicing an hierarchy at that time. It was had mm. been a really flat organization, and then it was operating in the red, and so people realized, you know, we let's let's have some accountability. Okay. Sure. We had some accountability. And so while I was the director, fiscal responsibility, that's something we we all operate. It's very important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we operated in the black while I was there and I worked very hard supporting the family while my former husband, John Davidson wrote the seminal law review article, which is the foundation of our children's trust and the work Mm. that they are doing in suing the federal government um, for future generations. And I will send you uh, an e-copy of that law review. It looks like this. <laughs> it's Columbia. Nice. It was there published in 2003 in the Columbia Journal School uh, Journal of Environmental Law, and it's called Tomorrow Standing Today, How the Equitable Jurisdiction Clause of Article 3, Section 2 Confers Standing Upon Future Generations. Mm. So that's you know what our children's trust is all about. Um, trying to convince the federal government that future generations deserve clean air, clean water. All of these things that we yeah. take for granted are not. Absolutely. Um, I just want to read you the first sentence of this. I'm Please kind of do. rambling, but no, I'm going to good. read it to you anyway. No, it's awesome. And I'll, because I it's absolutely, it's you. beautiful. And so um, anyway, this, but this is where I come from. This yeah, is what absolutely. this is what I do. These are my roots. It's long this standing. Is, this is my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I helped him edit this. And then after it was published, I was instrumental in raising the funding for him to further his work and collaborate with Mary Wood over at the U of O Law School and bring in more conference materials and have a longstanding collaboration with Mary Wood. And it turned into the trust doctrine that they are now using um, quite a, you know, quite a bit. It all just kind of morphed and became all these different legal arguments. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have a, briefs. I'm glad you have a background in fundraising um, because that's something that I, I did it uh, when I was interning with Planned Parenthood Advocates of yeah. Oregon and with Oregon League, League of Conservation Voters, but it has to be stuff I really believe in yeah. because I've always come from a low-income background and I don't find it comfortable to ask people for money or to be asked for money. So, yeah. um, but that, uh, you know, in the current state of politics is, uh, you know, an important thing, but also in, um, you know, this law review and other Absolutely, in education, etc. Yeah. yeah, I um I actually come from a, a very low income background too, mm-hmm. a ri- very rough background in in point of fact, and I'm self made. I left yeah, home at six. I left home at sixteen. You know, wow. so yeah, because I had to. But that's another story. Okay. So I just want to read you. Well, the we first can get sentence. into anything, yeah. But go yeah, on. Yeah, this it. is just so beautiful. The introduction: treating posterity like dirt. And then he has this letter from Thomas Jefferson as the opening. Are later generations bound to consider the preceding generation as having had a right to eat up the whole soil of their country in the course of a life? Everyone will say no, that the soil is the gift of God. And then John writes, 
The way in which a society cares or does not care for its dirt, its land, reflects the degree to which it cares or does not care for its own long-term future. Absolutely. That, that says it all right there, doesn't it? And then it, it goes on to um, create, create legal standing for future generations. And so um, powerful. our Children's Trust, as you know, has been working very hard to convince the federal government. And they, you know, they lost their, their last case in the Ninth District. Uh, what was that about? Three, there was a divided court. Well, there were three of them and they, they disagreed. Uh, but they voted, they voted no. They said that future generations don't have standing. They agreed on the first two pieces of standing. To have standing, you've got to have three. There has to be three pieces to pass in the courts. You've got to have injury, causation, and redressability. So they said, yes, you have been injured, future generations. <laughs> Clearly. We can, we can agree on that. Yes, there was a cause. We know what the, what the cause is and we can blame, you know, there are, there's someone to blame. Okay. But we don't have, you can't, we can't give you redressability. Hmm. In other words, we can't fix it. You're going to have to go back to the people that said no already and that caused it in the first place. You got to go back to Congress. The courts didn't want to fix it. They thought it was too hard. Yeah, it's too much. It's going to be too too hard for them, wow. and so go figure. You know, it wasn't too hard to get here in the first place. <laughs> mm -hmm. So well, but they're coming back around with they're going to appeal it, and hopefully they'll have the full court. You know, and as these things wind their way through mm -hmm. the court system, and as we have activists all over the country. You know, like, and even just here in, th in Eugene, of course, you can look at 350 Eugene and all the things that yeah. they're doing. Um, I like the Sunrise Eugene kids also. Sunrise, that, yeah. that, that, if you want to talk about the perspective of future generations, yes. you know, I'm thinking about what Eugene's going to look like in the 2070s. And, what is you know, it? bless it's your heart. Like. Bless your heart. I don't think you'll be around, um, no, but, but I, I will be. And so, for it and start absolutely. moving in that direction, Thomas. It's very mm -hmm. important. Really so um, I didn't. I haven't uh, received any of the environmentalists' endorsements. I didn't get N mm -hmm. MRG or Sierra Club or any of those folks because, once again, mm -hmm. you know, the, the establishment goes with the even the Sunrise so, Movement. Um, you know, they they mm -hmm. have the, and I'm like, that's yeah, okay. I, I noticed that. that it doesn't. I don't need an endorsement from an organization to tell me what my values are. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't. So, mm -hmm. um, and then and after that happened, I felt I feel it stronger than ever. It's like okay, it's it. on. You know, yeah. it's on. So, well, if we can be competitive about sports and about a whole bunch of yeah. other things, let's be, let's compete to see who can be the best protectors of our climate. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? So I love that yeah. you have your, you have a fire lit up uh, under you on that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, um, so this you is know, where I come yeah, from. Um, absolutely. You know, so, so living on a, on a sustainable living intentional community, consensus based community with 35 other people and a, wow, no and shit. a stream of interns and apprentices coming through and working on the land and living in micro housing and um, uh, using consensus based decision making and caring for the land and being a steward of the land. And we were there during Y2K. Okay. Okay. Remember, I don't, you don't remember Y2K. I was seven. It was, was a really, yeah. you know, and we're out there on the hippie commune and, and we're all like, oh my God, Y2K is coming and we might end up um, not having 
computers or or whatever, you know. The traffic lights are the tra all going to fail. Yeah, yeah, all of it was going to fail. So we prepared. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm not going to say that Lost Valley still has bins of grains and beans, but they might. We set up <laughs> gray water systems. We set up um, we we set up to be prepared for a long um, drought of technology. Sure, it was interesting. So there were some that people. That sounds unimaginable to today, doesn't right it? You know, yeah. so much of uh, what we've been sort of suggested to do and asked to do um, is, uh, oh, my phone sort of stopped recording. So much of what we've been expected to do is, uh, you know, I saw Jamie McLeod Skinner talking to Lucy Venice on uh, live stream, and uh, she was talking about how, you know, before I was so concerned about all the screen time for my kids, like, what are we doing? And then now yeah. the stay-at-home order, it's like, well, there's always screen time if you're bored, you know. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and doing what we're doing right now, but um, I, I think it's it's good that you have that background because, um, yeah, we, we my generation and the Zoomers below me, I'm a millennial. You know, it's it's practically unimaginable for them to not yeah. have the. the well, we didn't have. let the kids have screens, and yeah. we didn't let them have plastic toys. Wow! So, yeah. yeah, right on. Yeah, we really are pretty, living it. Yeah, we really were in it there, and my. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My son said to me one time that he still had a, a little bit of a resentment that he needed to clear about not letting them have screen time early on because mm. all of, a lot of his buddies are making a lot of money in, you know, as programmers. And he was like, well, I could have done that too if I had had more. I'm like, Aren't, you need to be thanking me, young man. <laughs> You're not <laughs> spending all that time. Sure. Broke. Well, I think about it too from the perspective of uh, anxiety disorders and yeah. that are very much uh, on the rise, at least in terms of diagnosis, but I think in terms mm -hmm. of the actual presence of them as well, because I am so accustomed and people are so accustomed to having information like not, it's not hardly even in the blink of an eye. It's quicker, you know, mm -hmm. that um, when you don't have it or when it's cut off, you do feel um, this, this sense of like oh, yeah. weird urgency that Absolutely. artificial. No, I, I still, to this day, believe that young children should not be, um, should not be watching screens or playing on those games. It's too violent. There's too much mm -hmm. violence and it's too fast. It's impossible it's not to normal. filter it's not it all natural. out. And, yeah. um, we need to be in nature as much as we possibly can. I believe that to be the truth. I love it. Well, you've talked a lot about the climate and I'm glad you did. Um, but let's say that it's January, 2021 and you've been elected and you are, you are going to, you know, whether it's pass a resolution or bring forward a specific policy goal that um, isn't necessarily in, um, in the realm of the things we've talked about. Um, what is city councilor Davidson doing as a priority? Well, I think we're at that time, we will have no. We'll have noticed. We will have lived with COVID for a while, so we'll yeah. have that under our belts. So we'll know that we can do a lot more than we thought we could. And I would like to see us um, immediately go green on every. I mean, this was a 2014 climate recovery ordinance that was. You know, let's just. You are so ardent about the climate. Two, I even tried to navigate you away. <laughs> Let's hope, but you know what? It's going to have to happen. The uh, the cap two doesn't go far enough. It just no, it I, doesn't. It just doesn't, and it's actually not a plan because it doesn't have any benchmarks. Climate it doesn't have a budget, plan. and it doesn't have accountability. Go back to ITEA. 
Okay, and then in its inclusiveness, it's like the no child left behind of climate policy. Yeah, it's like it's like you they know sure we're not going to provide they, real, sure real nice, support though. for this. It's yeah. got a lot of graphs and waterfall mm. graphs. I love that the waterfall graphs. It even has an explanation of how to read the waterfall graph. You know, it's like we really need to be taking action. So mm -hmm. the ordinance I want to pass is we, <laughs> the plan needs to happen. It needs yes. to take place. Okay, and the measurement, it, if we just start taking action on climate, we can measure, we can figure out how we're going to measure it in a minute, you know, but let's get, let's get solar deployed. Let's get the electric, all, all vehicles in L, in the city need to be electric immediately. I totally agree. And I think that everything that so are you, are you saying that you are not going to allow any new fossil fuel development? No fossil fuels. Um, if it can be delivered by bike, it will be delivered by bike, you know? Hell yeah. So let's get that going. <laughs> um, That's, you know, actually bless Lucy Venice's heart, but I've heard that she told somebody, you know, oh, I can't bike around because I live on a hill. Like, ah, uh -huh. you know, that's... But that's, we have little, you can power your bike now to go uphill. Okay, that's true too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was I going to, what else was I going to say? Well, that's a great ordinance you passed for to really put some teeth on that climate stuff. I like, uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Wind, wind energy, turbine energy is actually the most efficient. Mm. It's way more, it's, it's more efficient than solar. So anywhere we can use wind, we should do that. And it, and it is true that we'll need to start building up. And so all of those buildings can be powered by a turbine on top of them. I went to a small college in the Midwest uh, Carlton and yeah. we had not one but two uh, wind turbines and they powered on what I don't remember the stats anymore I'm not a tour guide anymore but I was so I do mm -hmm. all the numbers like I want to say at least 40 percent of the college's energy um, and honestly one of the biggest critiques which is so lame such a boring critique uh, is that they're not beautiful like they 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 make uh you know the aesthetic of the skyline less appealing and i just don't agree I, I, if you've ever stood under one i think especially at night they're mesmerizing uh -huh. they are a symbol of really tangible action that we're taking and there you can you can literally see them winding up energy you know it's it's taking this thing that's so invisible yeah. and putting it out there uh, in a in a way that i think is is awesome where would you put a wind turbine well, Just, you know, you we don't, don't get a lot of answers, It would be in East, yeah. Eastern Oregon as we'll have the right. and the, and the coast. Yeah. Obviously. Mm -hmm. right. You know, and if as long as we're having our dream world, we definitely need a um though that's not a dream world. These are all realistic things that we can that we should do. Um yes. The universal basic income idea Hey. Is, is go well, it's going to happen because all of the, a lot of these jobs are just they're naturally falling away because of technology. Yep. So yep. it's going to happen. And here we have an opportunity to test it. You know, wow. So you think that municipal or maybe statewide UBI? I think is, it would be cool. I think Oregon, it would be cool if Oregon figured that out. I don't think yeah. I don't know that we could do that at the local level, but yeah, um, at the state level, possibly. Well, this is a great segue. Well, let me add to that that, um, you know, Alaska has had a dividend um, based yeah. on their oil profits um, for quite some time and the people there love it. And that's a that's a pretty solidly red state. 
Um, so I think there's great precedent for it. But um, this is a great time to ask you, you know, um, as a local leader in the second or third largest city in Oregon, you know, and uh, sort of a uniquely strong voice in the, the valley where there isn't, uh, you know, basically I'm saying we're not Portland. Um, you know, how how can you um, what statewide sort of uh, policy initiatives would you um, want to support or or just um, how would you use your voice to make our state government hopefully function a little bit more? Because uh, recently that's not been the case. Yeah, and it's been about climate question. policy. And I'm not sure that yeah, it would all have to, it would all have to do around qu climate policy and housing um, because we'll because we'll be seeing so many climate migrants, many more than than we expect. We're going to need quite a bit of housing, and yeah. that housing should have shared walls. It should be green, it needs to be efficient, and it needs to be on transportation corridors. I think everybody agrees with that. And the state has passed a few, you know, a couple of laws to create density. Um, but I don't, you Can know, you I explain don't know. shared walls? I'm actually not familiar with that. Like apartment buildings. <laughs> got it, okay, all right. Got you it, know, got duplexes, fourplexes, aplexes. Okay, got it, got tall, it. You know, so, so density. Like apartment buildings. Sure, not just like, yeah, houses with all yeah. the separation. That's very 50s. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk about the state, That's what great. I can do for at the state level yet, because I'm still telling you my story and my journey. Right. That's so, more of a me question, really. If I were mayor, I mean, you know, yeah, if you Governor were mayor. Brown is going to get a lot of texts from me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I would I would continue so to be pushing on climate. So while living at Lost Valley Educational Center, I also contracted with um, a little volunteer library board called Dexter Library mm -hmm. to write grants to create a larger library to buy the land and put a building on there and create a library so our library service people don't read in, books in dexter come well, on this was, back in, this was back in 1997 98 99 yeah, I'm people teasing. still read libraries are very essential still libraries are so essential and and of course we were homeschooling the kids right so we needed a library and what i found was that um Lane County is the only county in the state of Oregon that doesn't have countywide library service. And there I am living in the county and this little volunteer library has hired me to um, help them grow. And I realized, well, this is part of a bigger problem. You sure. know, sure, we could raise some money for a building and have a little volunteer library, but then we need to connect to a tax, like it needs to be a tax supported system. Mm. So I founded a group called Lane Library League. Oh, wow. which, which is a 501c3, and it was a countywide organization. And I put all of the directors of the county onto this um, little board, which actually became a pretty big board, or about 15 people. And I co-founded it with Bill William Sullivan, who writes hiking books. Right on. And also endorses my campaign. Exhibit B. For Bill Sullivan, Central Oregon Cascades is one of the best hiking so many ever. travel guides <laughs> travel <laughs> Not to, guide. yeah that sounds great so we so i worked well let me say hard. that the multnomah county library system is just epic it's, yeah they, they have a an incredible amount of yeah. libraries county library service is the way to go absolutely 
Yeah, I've lived uh, uh, out of my car, uh, you know, before, and so you know that was something that I became more in touch with was libraries, and I yeah. go to Salem. Salem's got a good one. I like McMinnville's, cozy. But then you go to Multnomah County, and they're just all over, and they're all look just at you. Nice you have quality. been on a library tour in Oregon, Thomas. It's awesome. Right on. It's yeah. awesome. But I go and I try to find books about Eugene history, and it's there. Those are underrepresented. If you go to the local yeah. history section, <laughs> it's underrepresented. just like. Yeah. Well, I love our Eugene Public Library, of course. It, Me too. That was built during the time that I was working on this. So um, so I create this countywide organization called Lane Library League, and I capture some money from the state library. It's called LSTA funding, Library Services and Technology Act funding. Um, write a grant and pull in about $150,000 a year for, over the course of this project to try to create countywide library service. And the state library was very interested in in seeing that we do this and they saw that there was a lot of energy behind it because I was there and okay. Bill Sullivan was there. There were some, you know, library advocates. Uh, so I, at the same time I was raising money for this little library in Dexter, which is now called the Cascade Foothills library. I raised about $250,000 for them and we bought wow. the land. We put up a building and hired some staff and remodeled it. And it was a really cool thing. Um, Nice building. Go up there and check it out. They have a nice, beautiful volunteer library there now. Sweet. And the reason why I still volunteer is because we were not able to work toward our, to achieve our goal of countywide library service. And part of why we couldn't achieve it is because there was a thing, a bureaucratic nightmare called the Boundary Commission in Lane County ah. at that time. And you had to go through the Boundary Commission anytime you wanted to create a district. Mm. So we were looking at creating a, a library district for the entire county, and the Boundary Commission demanded that you write a very complex report on how you know Measure 5 compression was going to impact every municipality and um, how the districts would be drawn, and you had to get surveyed. I mean, it was, it was really outrageous, um, and we didn't see that we would have the resources for that. Unless sure. we to navigate, we, we were divided on that board. I wanted to go for it and 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 overcome the hurdles and make it happen and put you know just put more people on the board and go out and organize for this thing, more better than we had been. More better, I love that. More better, <laughs> um, and then and so we had this wrangling on the board and Bill Sullivan and I were the co-founders of this board and we didn't get along and we didn't see eye to eye, but we worked together. And it was fine. It was like the Sullivans and the O'Donnells. My <laughs> maiden name is O'Donnell. And back then I still used my maiden name. Nice. Very uh, But I lost. I lost. And, and Billy O'Sullivan won. And so it was just, you know, democracy ruled. And it was 51% who voted to just go for a small district in the county and see if other libraries would um, annex into it. So we picked Cresswell because Cresswell looked like it had the most opportunity okay. to create a library district. So long story longer, we write the, I coordinate the writing of the boundary commission report. This fat with, it was very technical. Trust me. I wish I had wow. it to show you. Um, yeah. But we had to create a district and figure out how much we would be able to charge uh, per thousand, you know, perhaps 40 cents per thousand or 50 cents per thousand 
in order to not get in the way of compression for Measure 5. Measure 5 makes everything very difficult when you want to create a taxing district or any tax. Um, but we, we managed to figure out that we could ask for 45 cents on the dollar to support this library and that that felt like the magic number, that people would be okay with it taxing themselves in rural Lane County. Okay. We're talking about library service in rural Lane County. That seems high. People don't I like mean, to tax high. themselves in no. rural Lane County for anything. So they sure don't, don't tread on I'm, me. What I'm telling you is my skill set around organizing for something I'm passionate about is fabulous. And I helped <laughs> organize this um, wonderful group of people and we went out there and made the case to the residents of Cresswell that a tax-supported library would be really good for them. And they agreed. And, and now, to this day, we have the Lane Library District down in Cresswell. And we named it the Lane Library District and not the Cresswell Library District so that Dexter possibly could annex into it. Nice. Yeah. Um, other rural areas around the around Cresswell could possibly annex in if they want to. That hasn't happened yet, you know. And then little <laughs> by little, we would have countywide library service, where mm -hmm. we, in a patchwork kind of way. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but Bill Sullivan and I hold out hope that one day Dexter Library will annex into the Lane Library District in Cresswell. Wow. That's pretty extraordinary advocacy. Well, um, if well you're, what if you're I think your kids, you want to have library service nearby. Yes. Can you um, sort of just to make clear what choice, uh, what motivated your choice to homeschool your kids? Because in the U.S., that is done um, statistically by a majority of people who are evangelical or mm. um, have sort of religious, um, whether it's objections to the public school system or just um, they want to uh, incorporate that into their kids' learning as much as possible. Um, so it's great to have a perspective that maybe that is the case, but I don't know. So what, yeah. um, what no, led to that? No, it wasn't evangelical Christians. We were a bunch of barefoot hippies naked on the hippie commune you know we <laughs> that's, were like, that's the vibe i got <laughs> it was kind of different so okay. but we had a whole group of families there beautiful mm -hmm. wonderful families um with 12 kids ages 1 to 12 mm -hmm. 1 to 16 actually and it was a beautiful group to be able to do that with and so we all took a share of it and had a little informal school and there were some people from um, Fall Creek that also joined in on that, a few families. So we had a network. We created right. a little organization called Learn, which um, wanted to expand the network to other rural areas uh, or, you know, to, to our neighbors at Fall Creek and Dexter in particular and raise some money to create more curriculum, you know, specific to what we were doing. And that was kind of an interesting experiment. And then we realized we don't really need a 501c3 to do what we're doing. We're just going to do it informally and teach our kids while living on the land about cool. sustainable living and environmentalism. And, and they had a lot of freedom. Yeah. And they also had a lot of responsibility. They had responsibility too, though. And we, they learned very well at an early age how to balance those two things. And that's sort of the basis of a good life, isn't it? 
learning how to yes. balance your freedom with your responsibility and they're very successful young people. Well, they've think, done well, so you should be very proud. It. Yeah, and then we moved into town, into this house on Martin Street where I've lived for 18 years or so and we sent them to school and um, to Spencer Butte and, and then South and they did very nice. well. They were ready to go to school. Okay. Good. They were, yeah, I bet. They were excited. <laughs> so, right on. And they did really well there. And they picked all the great, all the right friends, not the right friends, but you know, they picked good, good, good peer group. <laughs> they picked, they picked a folks. good peer group. They didn't get involved in drugs or alcohol or too much party. Right on. We kind of had tried to have this rule that they couldn't drink or, or experiment with alcohol or marijuana until they were 18. That's and cool. then, then we'd give them a little money if they achieved that. And they did. I always felt like I, um, so I, I don't know if I would say I'm a naturally lazy person. That's something I used to say, but really it's more that I had this skepticism of authority and I always thought that I was kind of uh, smarter than my teachers and maybe in yeah. some cases that was true. In some cases Probably it were. wasn't. Um, <laughs> and so I was always like doing the bare, not the bare minimum, but kind of like skating by and doing my own thing. And so I didn't trust myself to indulge in those kinds of things because I felt like it would easily derail me. Um, and so I didn't touch any of that stuff till after high school, but that's probably because my model, my parents modeled good behavior on that too. Um, yeah. You talked a lot about libraries um, and I, one thing that I think of as um, uh, essential benefit that we get from libraries is access to arts in terms of, you know, digital media, music, movies, uh, even TV shows. Um, and I come at the interest in sort of um, Eugene City Council and um, mayoral policymaking from from the perspective of trying to think creatively about um, what can the city do to um, make a more inclusive and a more um, sort of uh, prosperous artistic community happen. Um, and so... You know, cool. maybe that's that's kind of a left field question, but um, you know, that's something that is important to me. So, a couple things. You know, I would love to see us have a um, stand up comedy venue that is uh, sort of consistent. I would love to see more all ages music venues because that's something that is. Don't you go? Uh, do you go to No Shame? I don't go to No Shame. What's that? Is that a comedy thing? You haven't been to No Shame, Eugene? No, I have not. Oh, Thomas, um, I'll see you there next for. Let's have a date. That Next would be great. first Friday art walk. After okay. first Friday art walk at seven thirty, uh, there's a really great stand up venue called No Shame Eugene, and it's in the um, it's in the building across from the library, the atrium building. Okay. Ah. And I can't believe you haven't been. You get five minutes. The first fifteen people to sign in get five minutes on the stage and I've done nice. it a number of times and it's a blast. Oh, sounds fun. I've written, yeah. I've written little plays, five minute uh, plays and I read poetry mm -hmm. one time and what else did I do? Um, I read, I read a few essays one time. You can just have five minutes to do whatever you want and very talented people utilize that space I bet. to um, hone their comedy. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So we do um, have that going. And That's obviously great. it hasn't been advertised as well, but it's, um, and it's not really the city of Eugene. I think the city of Eugene puts a little money into it. Um, they donate the space. Nice. Yeah. But I'm with you on that one. The arts mm -hmm. are really important. And what I appreciate about 
uh, COVID right now and everybody having to, to just stop. Like mm. humanity needs to stop. And in mm. this, as we're moving forward into this new, the new world and the new or at least the, the idea world, that the economy is, uh, the economy. It, it, like is uh, equated with, you know, how well we're doing and, and whether right. we're taking care of, you know, our essential needs that, that the divorcement of those two things is something that I hope is exciting yeah. uh, because you did yeah. use the word, the word gift to describe COVID and a few times and where I don't think people are going to, you know, take you out of context or misinterpret it, but you know, it is something that's going to continue to, to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, the, um, if you have a positive sort of um, understanding of what's happening also that, well, now we have a sense of urgency, like real urgency about right. the kinds of things that, that you know, people like you have been trying to sort of like raise the alarm about for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the arts are so important because that is how humanity grows. That is how we connect and we evolve, living. I think, through the arts in so many ways um, that are so important. And I, I do believe that, you know, our capitalist system is coming, the, the growthism that yeah. we have been supporting worldwide is going to come to an end one way or the other. Hmm. You know, and I think that it would it would be better for us if we all tried if we all got on board with that recognition and right. took it as an opportunity to modify our system. Well, it's not just modifying; well, it's to, for the revolution to happen. It's going to have to happen quickly, or climate is going to make it happen, and it won't be friendly. I think that you, based on your experiences, are well positioned to answer this question. Um, but it's is another thing that people often point to and say, you know, you don't like capitalism, but capitalism works and socialism and communism don't work. We don't have large scale historical examples of them working. Um, how would you respond to that argument if you're going to talk about the limitations of capitalism, right? <clears throat> You're right. They they didn't work very well. There's a dark side to humanity, isn't there? And mm. some and these systems, you know, can can bring that out. Dark side to capitalism too. We see it. Yeah. So the the best system that will work is is the human system, the one that really mm. is takes into account the our full humanity and how. Um, and how conscious and aware we're going to need to be with each other and the planet moving forward. I don't know what you would call that system. I don't know. Right. I don't have a name for it. Um, so you got me there. <laughs> Baffled. All right. But I'm, you know, but I'm interested in, in pursuing, you know, how it, how it evolves organically is what's going to happen. And that's why I feel like leaders like me who have, who are capable of being in an uncomfortable place, but pulling mm. in the information that needs to be pulled in and um, aggregated, right? In a, in a way where we're gonna be able to find safety through all of this, right? Because people sure. need safety. And how do we sure. give safety? Well, at the same time, um, well, at the same time, 
you know, managing the the crumbling of the system that's going to happen. Now, right. it might not happen immediately, right, in the next two or three years. It might be five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty immediate. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I, that's I encouraging, think that, I think, know, that, that climate change is happening much more rapidly than 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 we're prepared for because of the reading that I've been doing, and uh, I think we really need to prepare. And when I get on the city council, that's what I that's what I want to do. I want to push disaster preparedness. I want to notice that here we have um, come through this this crisis, and let's utilize the impetus. That, mm. that we have here and keep going and make well, a radical shift. I think people win when they have a core philosophy and a real message um, and also the credibility to back it up. And so I don't think anybody would be able to doubt, especially after listening to this, that you have that. So um, mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Um, one thing that I, you know, to be more optimistic than my last question about, you know, um, mm-hmm. something else that, that I don't know if it would replace capitalism, but, you know, um, our, what our new system would look like. Yeah. My optimism comes from um, my generation and the one below my generation don't seem to have this um, red scare stigma when you when you bring up socialism nearly right. as much where before it's been like sort of a right wing um, part of their playbook to right. to say that every person who you know is you know they called Obama a socialist constantly yeah. and they've called uh, people a socialist so much that it's kind of worn out the uh, people's sensitivity to that term mm-hmm. um, and if you look at other countries in the world they have uh, legitimate discourse that includes socialism as a part of it. Um, right. And we are starting to have that more in terms of candidates openly avowing themselves as democratic socialists. Or maybe you saw Britney Spears on Instagram uh, just yesterday or the other day shared a quote where she was actually talking about redistributing wealth and uh, striking on, on a large scale. So that was like very uh, unexpected to see. Um, but I guess my point is that um, we don't see it as this boogeyman. We're, right. we're not. We're we're kind of tired of that um, easy maligning that the McCarthyism sort That's of legacy what I was of our saying. country. It's going had. to have a new name, and I don't know what the name is. You guys, you you'll think of it. You know, it will have <laughs> well, a different. You. It'll be a different. Name it might just and, be an emoji. We might not be yeah. using right. language in Emojis. the same way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm still a novice at emojis. I really That's do okay. need to go get a little emoji manual. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that, yes, I have to start using more emojis now. And with, especially with my, um, kids, they like that. And all the other millennials in my life, they, they're always texting me lots mm. of emojis. And I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. I'm going to learn this. <laughs> um, well now they've got like the ones that look more like your face. Uh, I just yes. think that we're, we're all just going to be communicating more with our avatars than we are with our own real faces maybe. Um, but you know, we'll see, we'll see where all that goes. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting times and, uh, it is. And so I don't know what the name of the next system will be, mm-hmm. but it will be a mixture of, of all of it. It has sure. to be, a, it has to be a mix of all of it Absolutely. without, uh, demonizing any one part of it. Well, I think one of the things that capitalism, uh, that, that, I don't know if it's just capitalism, but the incentivizing of hard work um, and of contribution is 
um, something that we'll we'll con- have to continue to be there, um, mm-hmm. but but um, hopefully not in a way where the consequences are so dire for people who uh, maybe are unable to work or you know right. uh, you know maybe you're at your job and you know you have to tough out being uh, li- under a, a boss that's abusive because uh, it's the only job that pays well in your field etc. These mm-hmm. are th- this rigid attachment to. Um, my livelihood is my my job and my forty plus hours a week. That that's something that you know it's falling away. But then you've got like Joe Biden, who is the presumptive nominee, and you know he talks down to youth for saying that their lives are hard because yeah. you know he's sort of got his crotchety attitude about like oh we were we were all going through these wars and blah blah blah. Um, and wow. that's yeah. you know i i am i am so i don't know if it's it's a little bit too early to say this but i just think he doesn't have a chance of winning and so that's something that's very um frustrating Joe i don't Biden doesn't have a chance you said yeah i don't oh. think he does um yeah you know well, i love Bernie. i just don't yeah I'm me too have you seen my lawn signs did you see? Uh, I don't think I have. The website? They have a little bird, a little wren in the O of Davidson. Such They're... a great Oregon uh, history moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, I, love... what's been... I, I hope I hope you're right, Thomas. That um, <laughs> that Bernie will win. That's what's needed because he'll Bernie win would if... win if he was the nominee. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, saying I'm talking nominee, about the general. Right. I'm talking about the general. I don't right. think Biden will win the general. I just yeah. yeah. I, I, knowing Thank what you. I know about the American electorate and mm-hmm. knowing that um, we have to have someone who excites people enough to yeah. get young people to come out and vote for something and not right. just say, "Hey, I'm a return to normalcy and I'm not Donald Trump." I mean. That's something that's very frustrating. And you and I have both have our critiques of the establishment, the Democratic establishment. And it's just, gosh, they gave them all this practically artificial momentum by everybody just pulling out of their own principles and saying, you know, this is going to be our guy right before, right after South Carolina. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, well, the, the but, but, but ultimately power. it's power. In, in yes. any way that it can, you know, it's a power thing and they want to hold on to it. And, um, well, and that's just how know, it is. No and so we have savior. to kind of work I'm... around. I, I think about it as water, you know, I'm just a river flowing along and, and I'm going to get to where, where I need to be and I will flow around the obstacles, you know, mm. that's how I do my life. So, I mean, have at it, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> Keating, does Keating need all of those, you know, endorse? It, it almost, you look at it and it's just like, is that, that just looks too good to be true. And it's like, well, mm. well, it is, <laughs> you know, it's not. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of thing where the power, power in the establishment seeks to stabilize. It always yes. wants to stay at its, its level, even as dysfunctional as it is, right? Family systems right. are like that too, right? They sure. will always seek to stabilize, even if it's, dysfunctional if someone tries to step out of the patterns um you know the the family can't handle that and so like i left home at 16 i had a very dysfunctional family and the only way that i could um overcome that establishment was to Mm. leave it um i don't see that option with the city of eugene we need to engage so 
Right. I have a long history of overcoming obstacles or flowing around them, I guess I want to say, and, I, and I'll do the same here. It's not a problem. It's hard work, and I'm happy to do it because it's worth it. Um, well, I hope that people in Ward 2 um, get to hear you in long form in this context and know that you are you are the one who's really fighting for the for your people and your neighbors and uh, for these issues. Um, so I am. Me... I've been fighting on. I've been fighting LTD. I mean, I have this. <laughs> oh, let's talk <laughs> about this, that. Right? I'm such a rabble rouser, like with the library services thing that the librarians were all on the board there of Lane Library League. And they did not want to have a countywide district because they every librarian had their fiefdom. Right. And, the, and librarians are very politically savvy people. Um, right. And they, they will guard their fiefdoms with their life. So, you know, that's just another example of how establishments want to maintain their walls. And right. now is the time. Now is the time that we need to let those walls down and um, offer in new novel and innovative and sometimes uncomfortable ways of thinking about things and doing things things and that's what right. i offer well i know that you have a couple other zoom things tonight um yeah. and it's been a real pleasure chatting with you can i ask you um a final question are you ready ask away i ask everybody what's one way that we could all be a little less stupid well i'll bet you can guess my answer <laughs> spend more time in nature ah, spend more yeah. time hugging trees Spend more time climbing trees. Spend more time playing in the rivers and the ocean and on the beach. Spend more time talking to trees. Spend more time rolling in the, you know, walking in the mud barefoot. All of that. Spend more time in nature and we will become less stupid. I guarantee you. I adore that. Yeah. Kate Davidson for hey, Eugene City Council Ward no, 2. No shame. Okay. And people got to go to katedavidson.org. And see yes. all this this really beautifully laid out uh, website with policy ideas and yeah. your history and a nice a video and yes you have I you've write, been regularly I just wrote an article and posted it last night on the homeless news from, and the and the one a few nights ago I posted was on LTD. I'm yep. And if people it. aren't in the ward, I think if they get on your email list, they're gonna get uh, updates right about those or or you've just been emailing those to me. I don't know. Um, but they they are they've got yeah. essential info for people all over this all over Eugene. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel too, and on my website you can click on those um, speeches and little one minute and five minute pieces, and I'll maybe put this on the website too. I hope so. I don't know how will that work. We'll talk later. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be an hour and ten minute video, and so people can who want that long form stuff can can. Can put it yeah. on and drive to work. That's how long we've been talking. Listen, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, and it'll wonderful. be available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, absolutely. So okay, um, but I want we'll to give you get your message out. Okay. Before I go, so here's what I've been reading: "The Uninhabitable Earth" by David Wallace Wells. It's a little bit depressing because he kind of sees <laughs> sounds options. that way. Yeah, but it's it's very important to read it. You need to read it, and then um, then to cheer yourself up a little. Uh, after that, read Draw Down, of course. And then um, what I've been reading lately, too, is This Civilization is Finished by Rupert Reed. Hmm. And then his buddy Samuel um, Alexander wrote Entropia. 
and that is like a it's not a dystopia it's an end so it's an entropia it's like after the civilization ends then what comes of it and it's it's really hopeful good and then on my list we is the future we, we choose by christiana figueres and i haven't started that one yet but i want to just put it out there to people that it looks really good another climate um piece the future that we choose and then i read the new york i get the new yorker so plowing through the new yorker every week awesome especially um, now they have great articles oh you got to meet franny even... come here franny <laughs> franny sounds great I saw a tweet that was like, stop apologizing for your pets being in the Zoom live streams. Everybody wants to see them. Um, hey, hi. Love it. Oh, hi, Franny. That's Francis. What a sweet. He's on the campaign trail with me all the time. He's, he was canvassing with me when we were canvassing. Nice. Well, um, I wanted to say one other thing to the listeners because here's something that I probably should have had you do is put on headphones for the chat. I think that I'll be able to make the audio sound fine. It's just I might not be able to add my nice microphone into it um, because it might create some delay with my voice being fed back. But I know people love to hear me anyway, so maybe they like to hear it with echo. Um, and then the, la the, the other thing is I try to ask... Uh, like creative leaders about politics and, and so but I also like to ask sort of electoral leaders about music so so you got a great reading list but oh. what do you love in terms of music what are you listening to now what's what's inspired you in your life let's let's have that little discussion before we sign off because that's a great okay. thing to talk about so I did kind of prepare for that and I had to think about it because I haven't been listening to music very much lately I'm so busy Ooh. I know I know <laughs> Thank you for saying that. And, yeah. I, and I was thinking about it this morning going, you know, but here's what it is, Thomas. I get distracted when I listen to music and try to work yeah. at the same time. Especially so, if there's lyrics for me. That's yeah. And I love hip hop. So. One thing or the other. Well, I'm wearing this, um, this sweatshirt that is, uh, it's of, uh, it's hard to really see, but it's an oh, anime yeah. girl. And uh, it's from a YouTube uh, constant feed that happens called, lo-fi beats to study and relax to so oh. it's uh it's almost become kind of a meme online because it's just a very popular source of relaxing okay. lo-fi hip-hop um, no lyrics just just instrumentals um but yeah let me but you okay don't cop out on me you gotta at least name an artist Kanye West. yay all right remember that graduation album 2007 absolutely yeah. <laughs> that's a great one and then Lil, lights. that was great. And then more, you know, this past summer, Lil Nas X. Oh my gosh. So Old Town awesome. Road. Yeah. That song made me want to become an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. I want people to be able to cross genres, sample different kinds of music more right? liberally, make money off of it. You've got a young 19-year-old art, uh, black artist from Georgia claiming, you know, country aesthetic and being incredibly uh, influential and just being a good young kid, too. Yeah. Um, so I, that song was awesome, and I've loved uh, some of his other stuff too. So I thank it you. In almost all my all my mixes. Nice. And then, you know, I tend to like the environmental artists, um, Franti. Yeah, and Michael Franti Na and Spearhead. And, well, that's more like the love, you know, the oh, we are all one. Let's all love each other. And then um, Nako and Medicine Why would for anyone the do People. That? Right. <laughs> Uh, oh. And Naco is great. I go to the country fair every year because I'm on a security crew team there. So I'm out there for a week. Um, 
doing security at the fair and the fair music is fabulous. So pretty much everything that comes through the country fair, I love. Hey, um, if we got Semple who's got fair uh, roots as well. And uh, if we can have a majority of country fair folks on this Eugene City Council someday, that would be the bomb. Yeah. Because that is a great um, show in how leadership can take on a sort of different form and and cultivate a sense of of real uh, intentional community that's fun and inclusive. Yeah. I mean, that's my background. That's where I come from. So organic, the Oregon Country Fair and then also living on a a community. gives me, you know, I just really have those, I have those values, those family and community values. And I believe I love Eugene so much because that's pervasive here. Everywhere we go, we, I feel there's, you know, that sense of community here. And awesome. we duke it out in Eugene, all, you know, the politics <laughs> yeah, are kind we do. of intense sometimes, but we I want it to get more intense, frankly. Yeah, we, come we don't out have here. any in-person mayoral debates anymore. I think we could still get all seven people spread out in yeah. a room. I think now so. Now we got to do it on Zoom, and I I don't like that. Um, I know. But um, you know. So what? Joanne Rand and the Shook Twins and John Craigie, they've all been to the fair. Oh um, yeah. Quick and Easy Boys, and then you know going back to back wait to to jazz. I like Sun Ra and Charlie Parker and um. Jazz um, is wonderful. All those you know a lot of different jazz musicians. Um, I like Bessie and Mahalia I like, and yeah, I like Tina nice. and Billy. Well, and then, yeah. And then well, if you haven't you. heard the roaches, try, go out and find the roaches. Okay. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Well, find a band you don't, called the roaches. You don't have to list this endorsement or you don't have to do anything with this, but after this great chat with you, I and my uh, rapper alter ego gradient, Thomas Ura and gradient are both endorsing Kate Davidson for city council ward too. She has earned Thanks, it. Thomas. And uh, so I hope that people follow suit. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure. And I'm going to put, we'll you, do you mind if I put your name on my website. Please do. Thanks. I'd be happy to have that. And you can also um, everybody go to elect Kate Davidson. I do yeah. have a Facebook page. Facebook. Now I'm not great at social media. I'm just going to give that caveat, but I'm getting better. I go. just love all the learning that's going on running for office. I, I think if it. you're if you're there enough to know what the conversations are and and that yeah. they are happening, that's good. You know, we've got some yeah. counselors who don't even have a personal Facebook, and I I respect that choice. It's not even a particularly ethical company, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, but uh, you know, it's it is a a great platform for a lot of people to get their. Message I started out. an Instagram account too, and I've been taking nice. pictures faithfully and posting yes. on Instagram. I just need to Lucy go. Lucy Venus followers. doesn't have one. She she only uses Instagram to put out paid advertisements uh, that link to her Facebook page. So I would rather she had an Instagram account because people in my generation are all there. Are you going to show up uh, for her little town hall with my opponent tomorrow at 5.30? Oh, I thought that was tonight at 5.30. All right, I'm glad that you corrected me. I think it's Um, tomorrow. I hope it is because I actually have a Zoom here at 5. So I think it's tomorrow night at 5.30 and uh, hold her feet to the fire. I think that's worth doing for sure. Um, I'm a pest and I'm pesky and uh, they couldn't get rid of me at the meetings. They had to shut down the meetings. They had to reduce the speaking time from three to two minutes. I've been at a couple of them where you were there and I always thought, this this guy's got moxie. (laughs) Yes, I do. Yeah, and I hold my my opponent's feet to the fire around the the LCC nonsense that just happened where they, you know, 
inspired so many people. And that was at the very beginning. They they used that opportunity immediately. I mean, it just like that. And I'm like, shameful. Yeah. You know, please do that. Okay. I'll try to be there. I don't know how things are going to look. I have a lot of endorsement forms to finish and send back to people. And I know um, it goes on and on, doesn't it? It does. And you got, I feel like I have to give a real detailed, good response to all the questions, blah, blah, blah. Even though you won't get the, even though I'm not going to get the endorsement. (laughs) Oh, well. I still yeah. want you to know where I'm coming from, and we'll yeah. circle back after I win. That's I been my it. stock statement. We'll circle back after I win. All good. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, I think you are going to win, and so yeah. thanks for chatting with me. Yeah. And we'll be in touch in the future, and I'll be great. at no shame. Thank Sounds you awesome. for inviting me. This was great. All right. See you later, Thomas. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye.